Awesome, man. I know that the Lord is here today, and uh, I can already feel his presence and feel his spirit moving. And a couple of you last week, several of you had asked me for the sermon and for those notes that I had, those facts that I had. There's a few right here. Uh, I made about 12 copies, so if you want one, grab one. If you need one, then I'll print some more, or I can email them to you, or whatever you want me to do. Today, we're going to continue to speak of truth and what truth looks like and uh, what, uh, what the Bible says about truth, what the Bible says about Christ. And the Lord has really impressed upon me the last few weeks, I guess. Um, I think he's been pressing it on me my entire life, but I've started to recognize. You know, have you ever, have you ever heard a word from the Lord and you heard it, but you didn't recognize that you heard it, only then later to realize that you heard it? Does that make any sense whatsoever? I think a lot of the times we hear the Lord speak to us, I know that we all see the truth uh, of the scriptures. We all see the truth of God in creation, but a lot of the times, even if we do follow and fall in line with that truth, we don't recognize that that's what we're doing. So we can't get the full benefit of pursuing Christ in that way because we don't understand all the implications that come along with that. Meaning this, that truth is, truth is an amazing thing that when followed, that it creates something inside of you that creates praise to God, it creates fulfillment, it brings joy, even in the midst of chaos and in the midst of storms. But really, the root around how truth is, how truth affects you comes down to one thing on my study. If you want to disagree with me, we'll have a conversation afterward. But this one word, desire. Now, am I saying that the Christian faith is based on desire? No, I'm not. Not just the Christian faith, but all of reality is based on truth. And there is one truth. We talked about that last week. Last week we talked about that truth is legitimate, that truth is logical, and that truth is living. Today we will continue in the vein of truth is living. We will get into a little bit of the logical nature of truth and, and that type of stuff too but I want to show you today that that truth is Jesus that truth is living and truth is Jesus but the effects of that truth on this world and these people in this room and the people in this world the effect of that truth on the, those people have everything to do with what those people desire you following so far okay so truth is objective and we said this last week that truth is objective so we're going to put this here and that truth is objective is means what do what truth is objective means that it's not only our truth but it is truth for everyone 
The objective nature of truth means that truth is overarching over all of creation. It is transcendent. It is above all of us, and it is true for everyone in all places, in all times, okay? That is Christ. Christ is just true. It's not that he's true for me and maybe not for you. Christ is just true. I want to talk about this today, and I want to talk about how that plays into our lives. I want to show you some evidence from Scripture that backs up the fact that I made a claim just now that there is objective truth, meaning that there is truth that, uh, that goes over all circumstances, all cultures, all nations, everybody, every individual, and it is just as true for you as it is for me and vice versa. Okay, let's pray before we do so and let's ask the Lord to bless the service, to bless the words, and to bless the ears, all right? Jesus, uh, I know that we are hard-hearted many of the times. And I know even within my own life and within my own understanding that I can be deaf to your truth sometimes. And I also know that sometimes even when I'm not deaf, of ear, I am deaf of heart, and that I do not want your truth, I do not desire your truth, and therefore that truth impinges on me and breaks me apart. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that you would show us your truth in such a way that it would break us down, but that it would build us back up, that we would fall in line with that truth because we love you, the truth, and we want to and desire to follow you, and then have you rearrange everything in our lives. I pray, God, that you would break down walls, that you would destroy strongholds, that you would destroy every lofty opinion, every argument that is, that, is, that is made against you, even within our own hearts, our own arguments, our own defenses of why this should be and that should be, and that you would destroy all of that and that you would sanctify us in the, in the truth. In your word, we know, is the truth. Protect the words that are spoken here today, for I am just a man. Let your word be spoken and nothing more, nothing less. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So truth is objective is the hallmark. But today we're going to talk about the objective nature of truth and the fact that we have our own individual desires and how do those play off of each other. And I, and I, and I hope that this comes out right. The Lord has given me this message. I know that he has, and I want to communicate it effectively to you because this could be the difference between whether or not you truly know Christ and are set free or whether or not you are fooling yourselves. You can turn with me now. Let's, we'll qualify this with uh, John chapter 14, verse 6 says this. We talked about this last week. John chapter 14 says this. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Now, what is, what is the truth about that statement? The truth about that statement is it is an absolute statement, an objective statement, and Jesus Christ is saying, I am the truth. Everyone else is a liar. Remember Romans chapter 3, verse 4, let, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, that is in the original language, it has that, it has that power behind it, the truth not a truth but the truth I am the way the truth and the life and no one 
No person can come to the Father except through me. What would we call that? What would today's term for that be? Intolerant, right? Intolerant. So we look at the gospel and we say, a lot of people want to, we're accused of being intolerant, okay? A lot of people say, well, I can't ever believe in Christianity because it's intolerant. And they equate intolerant with unloving, but, but that's a, that's a false comparison. Because if I were to say, well, let me be tolerant, and you go ahead and do what you want to do, that there's some other way, then I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be being loving. I would be a liar, and I would be evil. Okay? So if someone came to me with a, with a truth, say, say a doctor goes into the office with someone, and, and that doctor knows that that someone has a, a, a deadly disease that is incurable except for this one drug or this one procedure, and he goes into the room, and, and, and before he, he, he opens up his folder to tell this man truth, the man looks at him and says, I, I believe that I'm okay. I believe that I'm going to be fine. My truth is that I'm not really sick. Now, would it be loving and right for the doctor to say, well, I don't want to be intolerant. I wouldn't want to impinge on your truth. I believe that all people should have the right to be true. So let me not be intolerant, and I'll just let you be true. Would that be loving? Absolutely not. What does he need to do? He needs to look at the man and he needs to say, that's a lie. I have looked at all the evidence. I have, I have considered everything that has been presented to me. And the truth is, there is only one way for you to be cured of this disease and this is it. But the man says, no. No, you're just being intolerant. You need to respect my right to believe. Does the doctor say, well, you're right. Have a good day. You're right. No. He says, with compassion. No. You're not right. I'm pleading with you. Look at this. Look at this. There's only one way. Don't die. Don't give away your life. You don't have to die. Now, is that intolerant? The doctor's being very intolerant, is he not? The doctor is saying there is only one way. That's very intolerant. But does that intolerance equal evil, hateful desires? Absolutely not. World? No. It's, 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 it doesn't. It, at the end of the day, you're right. Intolerance is not always evil. Now, sometimes it is. Sometimes we want to judge and we want to judge wrongly. We want to take our truth and project it onto someone else. I'm not talking about our truth. I'm talking about the truth of the scriptures. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is exclusive. He is absolutely intolerant in a large part and in a large way. This may be so difficult for some of you. It's, I don't find it difficult at all. Some people say that that I'm, I must be the one to be able to decide truth. Why? We are really stupid people. You see, the psalmist David says, I am but a worm. Why would you be mindful of me? I don't have a problem with the sovereignty of God in the least. And we will actually talk a little more in depth about the sovereignty of God. And when we look at 
the truth of heaven or hell? We're going to get into why must there be a hell? Can, you know, can a loving God justify sending people and condemning them to hell? Why must hell exist? Does hell have to exist? Does hell really exist? We're going to look at that. And we're going to look at the sovereignty of God and why it is that that, that hell must exist if it does exist. But I want, to, I want to tell you something right now, that we oftentimes rise up against truth, not because it's untrue, but because we don't desire that truth. Let me read for you uh, in Romans chapter 1. Because what I, now I will make another statement to qualify this. Um, and I will say this, is that in my opinion, and, and not just my opinion, so let's get away from my opinion, but I do believe it, is that the truth is apparent to everyone. The truth is not hidden away somewhere that you might have a chance to believe it, you might not have a chance to believe it, but this objective truth is apparent to everyone. Everyone sees it. Everyone knows it. Everyone has it affect their lives in one way or another. And though they deny the truth, they know it to be true. See, that's the problem. The problem is not that we can't understand truth. The problem is that not that we don't know truth. The problem is that we know what's true, yet we do not obey. We know what is true, but we desire to go our own way. The problem is not that we don't know what truth is. The problem is that we do not want that truth. Now, that's the claim of Scripture. You say, what about the people who just don't know? Listen to this. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You see, the truth is right there. They understand that truth. They feel it impinging on the things that they desire to do and the things that they want to do. You see, what's under attack here this morning, even as I speak right now, is your lustful and sinful desires. You feel this thing rising up in you. There's not one truth. Wait a minute. If you're saying that there's one truth, then if that truth contradicts with what I desire, then I'm the one being attacked here. And there's two things that can happen then. You can rise up against that truth and you can go to battle against that truth or you can submit and have much of yourself killed by that truth. You see, it says, but they knew. You see, the wrath of God has been revealed from uh, heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They're pushing it down. They see the truth, but they don't want to see the truth. They don't desire the truth. So they, they put unrighteousness on top of the truth. How many times do we do this? We, we make excuses, well, uh, you know, I know that I shouldn't be greedy, but I know that abortion is wrong, but I know homosexuality is wrong, but I know that, that laziness is wrong, but I know that overeating is wrong, but I know that, but I know that, but I know truth is truth, but. And so we say, get down, get out of me, please, get away from me, get away from me. You put it in the closet, but it comes back out. You, you bury it in the backyard, but it comes back to life. Truth is you can't get away from it. You can't get away from it. It's everywhere. It's in all of creation. It says, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them. That's the first point today. The truth is plain. The truth is plain. It's very plain. It's very obvious. 
Even when talking about very controversial issues like abortion, homosexuality. These are huge topics in our culture right now. But you know, they don't even deserve to have the limelight like they do. And what I mean by that is that all sin, all sin is a lie. All sin is deceptive. Abortion is horrible. Homosexuality is deadly. But so is gluttony. So is drunkenness. So is drug use. So is pornography. We need to rise up against these lies. But we're rising up against just select. You know why? Because that might not be our desire. Let the truth come after your desire. Will you rise up against your greed? We just did a $100 donation, $100 giving, so that we could pour funds into the well and so that the ministry would go forward and the gospel would go forward in a greater way. Now, you had an opportunity to invest in a greater work. And what rose up, this truth came up against you. This truth came. And it said, the truth is, is that you need to open up your wallet and you need to give till it hurts. But you said, I don't want to. God said, my people are to fund my kingdom because what I've given to you, I expect you to give and be a good steward of. But you said, I don't want to. We opened up the church for volunteer ministry and we said, there's a great need in Kidwell. But I don't want to get up early. And let me, st- let me go ahead and just step on, jump on some toes in here. I did, you know, I was, I was praising God that we had volunteers come to do that. And so that's, that's doing great. That's, that's amazing. But how many people do I talk to that, that won't volunteer for, for what reason? You know the reason I get most often? Oh, I'm just not an early, per- I'm not an early morning person, Pastor. You're saying the truth is that God is coming after me to be used by him for the glory of e- the eternal God. But I really like my sleep. I like my sleep too. What if I sleep in on Sunday? Y'all gonna have an empty board. You see how the truth, it bangs up against our desires. And we, remember last week we said, what happens is, is that we put our feelings and emotions and desires on the throne, okay? And then when someone attacks our throne, to destroy our idols with truth, even in a loving way, we rise up to defend our God and we say, blasphemy! Because they're attacking our God in attacking our desires. Does your desires rule your life? Or does truth rule your life? But even there's even, there's, do you know there's even a problem in the sentence I just said? I would also say that for the Christian, your desires need to rule your life. The problem is not truth. Truth is there, and it's apparent to everyone in the room. The problem is that you desire wrongly. So what is true about truth? 
in John chapter 17, I didn't write this down on there, but let's just let the Lord just do this, all right? In John chapter 17, Jesus does something. He prays what's called the high priestly prayer, okay? And he, he, and he does this. He actually says within the prayer, he said, I'm not praying these things for my own benefit, but so that you might hear and so that you might be blessed. And what does he say in that prayer? He says, please be with, with and I'm paraphrasing, of course. I don't have the whole thing memorized, but he says, please be with them because I am leaving them now. And they're going to be left here in the world, and I won't be with them here like that. So will you please protect them and guard them and sanctify them in the truth? Your word is the truth. What he's saying is, is that, God, I am leaving, and they won't be able to behold me. They won't be able to see me to... And I'm reading, now this is my understanding of this text. He's saying, I am leaving from here and the distance that I am going seemingly from their sight that they would see and behold me is going to be harder for them to desire me because they're going to forget. And that's a biblical concept that we forget God. You go all throughout the scriptures. You go back, in, especially in Judges, you have that, that judging cycle that goes through. They would know the Lord, and then they would forget the Lord, and then the Lord would send someone to remind them, and they would, they would come back in. It's this idea of death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, this idea of fair, faith, adversity, rest, and expansion. And you have this thing to where, it's growing the people but what happens is God comes in he reminds them he shows them his glory he's right there in front of them right and they see him and they say oh you remember well, what does everybody do every every prophet every new testament apostle everyone who who stands and beholds the glory of God what happens woe is me I'm dead every time every time the reason that is the reason that is is because the Lord is, is, is awesome. Now, I know that we overuse that word all the time. I would look at my wife and I'd be like, man, you're awesome. Now, that's not an overuse, but it is when compared to God. Because my wife is awesome. I'd be like, whoo, you know? But, but really, we should reserve that word for God Almighty. Because when we say something is awesome, means that it is awe-inspiring. When you behold it, you go, oh. oh well, I kind of, you know, when I live my like, oh. <laughs> so I, she's pretty awesome. But that's, I'm getting caught up here. Uh, that, that God is awesome. And that's what it says in the book of Acts when the great day of Pentecost come. They were, they were affected by the Holy Spirit. They were in, infected with the Holy Spirit. And they were moved by God. And they saw him. They experienced him. They felt the truth inside. And it said they started giving stuff away. They had all things in common. They were selling their stuff. If anybody had a need, you, you got a need, man? You, you need your power bill? I got a full I can sell. Maybe we can do it. You know, maybe I got something I can sell. If you're in need, I got something I can sell that I don't really need so we can see to your need, right? And all of these things, they had, it says they had all things in common. And they stood in awe. You want to know how the truth affects your life in such a way that you live it out? Oh, this is getting good, right? You want to know how truth hits you in such a way that truth becomes reality in your life? It's not that you buckle down and do what you're supposed to do even though you don't want to do it. No. It's that you, you 
Position yourself under the waterfall of God's glory. And then when you behold his glory and you, you sense his presence and his, his truth sets in front of you. And like Moses on the mountain, you stand and behold the glory of God. It changes you and moves you. And it creates in you. Create in me a clean heart. That truth sanctifies you. It changes you. It, it moves you to a different state of desiring. So that in 1 John chapter 5, what does it say? It says, and this is, this is the love of God that we obey his commands, but, but, but his commands are not burdensome to us. You see? You see this truth lining up? This is true Christianity, is that we love God and we obey, not because we have to, but because we long to. And though we may have sinful, sinful tendencies, we don't want those things anymore. We want Jesus. So when truth comes up against you, we have a tendency to do one of two things. We either submit to that truth because we have a greater desire, which is Christ Jesus. And we've seen him and beheld him and love him and long for him. And so we suppress our lies and desires and, and worldly passions and not suppress the truth. It says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. They're without excuse. You say, what about the people who never get to hear about Jesus? This is, this is maybe a little bit different way that you've ever looked at it. But you know, nobody goes to hell because they didn't hear about Jesus. Nobody goes to hell because they didn't hear about Jesus. They go to hell because they hated God. You see, our problem with the way that God deals with some people is indicative or it shows that we believe something about God and something about the people. If we look at how God does or does not save someone and we shake our fist at God and we say, how could you do that? That was unfair. That is saying two things at least. One, that God did not have the right to do with that creation whatever he wanted to do with it and that he would not be perfectly just in sending every single one of us straight to hell. One is, is that God does not have the right over his creation and two is that we deserve not to go to hell. What other basis could you have? If you're looking at God and say, how could you send them to hell? Basically what you're doing is, you're looking at God and saying, you were unjust because they deserve to go to heaven. No, they don't. It says here, that for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for the, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. If Christ then is sent, then that is purely the grace and mercy of God. The grace and mercy of God. This doctrine highlights the love of God, not the unjust or the injustice with God, which he is not. So we look at this truth and we say, the truth is, is that it's plain. It's plain to everyone. And no one is with, 
excuse. Everyone is without excuse. That truth is undeniable. You see, though it can be argued for in a very convincing way, doesn't mean that you can convince someone of that truth. At the end of the day, it comes down to desire. You see, I, can, I was talking to a guy the other day who was a proclaimed atheist, okay? And we got on the topic of, well, we got on a couple different topics, but we got on the topic of the objective nature of morality, of truth, and of the worth or the intrinsic value of a human life. All that just to say that at the end of the day, how much a person is worth is across the board. They don't get, you don't get your worth and your dignity because I think you're valuable. You just have it. It's just in you. Like, you know, a lot of people say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. No, beauty is in the thing, and we behold it. You don't get your beauty because I think you're beautiful. I think you're beautiful because you're beautiful. Does that make sense? That it's just true. It's true whether I believe it or not. And so we started talking about uh, abortion, and we started talking about all these things, and we started talking about the worth of a life. And he wanted to, to say that, well, you know, uh, it comes down to what the person believes, and it's up to the, the woman's choice, you know, and, and, it, and it depends on the circumstances or the situation or the time that, that that baby's been in the womb or all of this. So my question was very, very, very simple. Do you intend to tell me that the worth of a life is dependent on the circumstances around it? Or is it just worth what it's worth so you say well that's not even really a baby yet is what and i'm going to move on from this but i just want you to see the objective nature of truth that it's not my truth you just can't get away from it he said well it's not really even a baby yet and i said well the heart's beating right well well yeah sometimes but but sometimes it's not it's just it's coming together and i and i say okay 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 well, i'll grant you that what what would be the difference between that baby and any other baby well time okay well you mean to tell me that if this baby just had time that would be a, a wonderful little baby and it would be alive yeah so you're going to kill that baby just before it looks like you think it should look does the time give the baby the worth? Or does the baby just have worth? You say, well, what about, what about incest? That's horrible. But even still, give the baby that comes from incest two years. Does it change your mind? You allowed the baby that came from incest to live and now you've got a two-year-old standing beside his mom. You say, oh, this baby came from incest. We need to kill that baby. Does it change your opinion now? What gave that baby more worth? Was it time? It just has worth. Now, we can talk about abortion on another day. Uh, some of you may disagree with me, and you have the right to your opinion, even though you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, my wife's going to say that was cocky. It's confidence in the truth. So we see that truth is just objective. It's not my truth. It's really not. I'm just pointing to it. Okay? So our problem is the 
desiring of that truth, and, and I had this whole other thing, but I, I got to move on from there. Uh, I, I do want to caution you really quickly in this. I had a couple of ladies in particular and a couple of, of guys come up to me too after the service last week, and they said, I really need to get you to sit down with my husband. I, I really need to get you to sit down with my cousin or with whatever. Now, let me, let me make something very clear. You cannot convince someone to become a Christian. You can present arguments, rather, I don't like the way that sounds, but what I mean is that you can plant seeds that would get them to question the lies and get them before the glory of God so that their desires may start to change. But you cannot convince someone of the truth. Now, I know that because I have had debate after debate after argument after argument, and not in a rude way, but in a loving way, in my in my mind, trying to plant those seeds. You know, we need to be gardeners. A lot of churches say that you need to be harvesters and go out there and preach the gospel and get them in, get them saved, boy, get them saved, boy, you know. And that's cool. If they're ready, pluck them out of the tree, you know. But a lot of times, you just need to be a gardener. You need to be willing to get your hands dirty and you need to learn. Because what if someone comes to you and says, well, you bigot, why is it that you think that you're right and everybody else is wrong? What are you going to say to that? Do you have a reasonable defense? Do you have the ability to give an answer for what you believe? Do you have a, the ability to say, well, as a matter of fact, it's not really my truth. I'll be glad to share this truth that I submit to with you if you'd like. But I would also say this. The Bible's very clear in uh, Proverbs uh, 26, 4. It says, answer not the fool according to his folly. Uh, there's another scripture that says, do not cast, your, uh, do not cast your, your pearls before the swine. Also, when Jesus Christ sent out the disciples, they went in and they proclaimed. They said, if anyone won't respect you, if anyone won't accept you in, if, anyone, if they won't hear you, if they won't accept the truth, then shake the dust off your sandals and get on out. I would never tell you you need to sit down and battle and debate with someone. I'm a part of a couple of, of groups on Facebook, and, and we go back and forth, you know. And, and I have debated several different kinds of people. And I'll go ahead and tell you right now. If I find that I'm debating with someone who doesn't really care about truth but just proving that I'm wrong, I'm done with that. I'm shaking the dust off. You know, I, I might even do that as I leave. <laughs> if you ever see me talking to somebody in the grocery store, and then you see the conversation here, and I go... See you later. <laughs> You'll know exactly what's going on. You know what just happened right there. <laughs> but you see, there's another way that you can, there's another type of conversation that you can have, and I've had those too. Someone who is absolutely convinced of atheism, or maybe they're an agnostic and they don't really see enough evidence to go either way. I had a conversation, the guy that I was talking to the other day, he told me, he said, I would really like to believe that I, uh, that I am more than just natural. I'd really like to believe that I have an eternal soul, but I just can't get there. So we dialogued. You know, we, you know, we talked about objective moral truth. We talked about objective truth in general. We talked about the intrinsic value of a human life. We talked about all of these different things and things that at the end of the day, we, we, I think that I planted some seeds. Now, I'm, I'm not very smart when it comes to this kind of stuff, but the Holy Spirit led those conversations. And at the end of the day, when we got to the end of some of those dialogues, he didn't have an answer for what he was going to say. And I wish we just had all day today because... 
I could give you some tips that I've been learning recently on how to dialogue with someone about Christ and the truths. And a lot of times you don't have to rain down truth. You can just ask questions. That's all I did. You see, when we were talking about the worth of that little bitty baby, I didn't say, well, let me tell you exactly why that baby's got worth. I didn't do that. I'm not smart enough to do that. You know what I did? I simply asked questions. He would say something. I would say, what do you mean by that? He would ask something. So when he said, you know, well, well, that baby's not, I just simply ask a question. So does the baby get the worth from the time? So do you mean like if that baby was three months older, it would be murder, but right now it's not? What do you mean by that? And you know what happened? At the end of that, he went, hmm. Yeah. I still don't know, but it was a seed planted. It was a seed planted, and now he's thinking, maybe, maybe. You see, culture feeds us all kind of, I about said that word, all kind of, all kind of silliness. Dung is a, is a word in the Bible. It feeds us big heaping piles of dung, all right? And because we think that everybody believes it, we want to fall in line and believe it. And so the many would have you think that, that everybody is accepting all of these things. Everybody it, it, it thinks that this is true. Everybody thinks that there is no God. Everybody thinks that science contradicts religion or Christianity. Everybody, that's a bunch of baloney. Propaganda baloney. The vast majority of the world believes in God. Every culture that you find has objective moral truths that are, that are across the board. Every culture believes murder is wrong. Why? And that's a different topic for a different day. Let's continue on. I want to show you something here. And this is magnificent. Because it's not mine. It's from the Bible. Okay, so. How do we, as individuals... How do we as individuals get from truth claims to heart transformation? Truth claims to heart transformation. Now, we've addressed this just a little bit, and it comes down to desires, okay? It comes down to desires. I'm putting some stuff together here just for a second. Give me. Bear with me. Okay. Here we go. All right. So, The Bible says, Christ says in the Word of God that He is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I've always, since I've been a Christian, I've been aware of this verse. And uh, it's meant a lot to me, but only recently have I realized the streamline or the progressive or the 
the connectedness of all of these ideas. I always thought, well, he's the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, and the life. But really, this is a directional statement that Jesus Christ is making. And what he's saying is, and let's put it in the context of the story. So he's speaking with them, and he's about to be crucified. He's about to go away. Uh, and, and what he's saying to them, he's telling John, he's telling Philip, he's saying, uh, I'm, I'm leaving you now, and, and, but you know where I'm going. He said, you know the truth, okay? I am leaving you now, but you know where it is that I'm going. I am going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. If I wasn't going to prepare a place for you, I would not have told you. But I am going to prepare a place so that where I am, you may be also. Thomas looks at him and says, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. How can we get to where you're going if we don't know the way? That's when Jesus looks at him and he says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. So Thomas says, we don't know where you're going, and we don't know how to get there, so how can we get there? Jesus says, you get there to the Father, to glory, to heaven, however you want to say, to the Father, to this, this inclusion, this adoption, this redemption. You get there by me. How? Through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the way in which not only do we get truth, but that we are able even to receive that truth. And when we receive that truth, the effect of that truth in our, in our lives is life. You see that? Does that make sense, what I just told you? So Jesus Christ is here, and he's saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we start to walk after Jesus and to look to him, to go down his path where he is. Psalm 1 uh, very clearly says that the person who is blessed doesn't go after the world's things, paraphrase, but he delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. Jesus Christ says, I am the way. And when you start to walk after me and when you start to see me and if your desire is pricked by the Holy Spirit and he opens up your eyes as you move in this way and you are able to see the truth, you are transformed by the truth and life is a result and the Father is the destination. Now, there is, a, there is another verse that, that, that I wasn't looking to put these together, but the Lord showed me this, is Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. So if you want to write that down, you can go and compare later. John 14, 6, and compare it to Proverbs 14, 12. It also speaks of a way. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man. So there is another way. That seems right to a man. So that would be this lustful desires or this lies or this deception because the word says that it seems right, implying that it's not. So this is deception. So here's another way. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's wrapped up in deception and it says there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death. There are two, two things that happen when truth hits. You either see that truth and you bow down and are transformed by that truth and life is a result. Or you see 
that truth and you decide to go your way, which is full of lies, and the end is death. How then do we how then do we pursue Christ in such a way that the result for us would be life? I want to read you a narrative to make my final point. If you guys want to come on up. Does everybody understand this? Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And as we follow him, we are sanctified by his truth and the result is life. Salvation, we've talked about in three different ways. That salvation uh, will happen, has happened, and that it is happening. In this sense, salvation or your, your receiving life to the fullest is not a one-time thing in a lot of ways. But it is a progressive, sanctifying work that God is doing through his truth that will end in life. Okay? Now, there is another way that you, uh, that you perceive and you go your own way. You believe the lies and the end is death. Now, how, going back to some things that I said earlier, how then do we... How then do we, if we can at all, now I, we, can, we can talk you know, philosophically or biblically about this all day long. How then are our desires changed? If I told you that it's not enough to look and believe that that truth is true, but that we need to be affected by that truth in such a way that it transforms us and we don't just blindly obey against what our flesh desires, but that we have our desires changed and we want and desire God. Because this is true Christianity, that we love him, that we desire him, that we long for him, that he transforms us, that nothing is greater. That's how, um, that's how when he calls you to do something that's very tough, you say, yes, Lord. That's how when he calls you to give up and sacrifice, you say, yes, Lord. That's how you give. That's how you love. That's how you, you, you deny yourself and you love the Lord. You, you say, I know that this seems right to me and it, and it feels right even, but I know it's contrary to what God wants. Therefore, I will suppress this lie instead of suppressing God's truth. Well, I want to read a, a, a narrative for you that I think will help us. It's the story of, of Stephen. And what I want you to notice is how the truth affected those that Stephen was talking to and how the truth affected him. Okay, you ready? All right, so I'll give you a little bit of context. Uh, Stephen has been accused of lying, and he's been accused of deceit, and he's been accused of blasphemy and, and discrediting, trying to discredit Moses. And what Stephen does is, is that he goes into this big discourse, and he lays out the truth so that they all can hear. He says, okay, you've accused me of lying, so let me lay out my position for you so that then you can test the truth by the word and see whether or not I'm lying. You see, any good prophet, any good man of God, any good woman of God, any good Christian, true Christian, they don't, they don't so much desire to be right all the time. They desire to know the truth. And so if you dialogue with a true Christian and one who cares about truth, then you're not going to get beat up. But you Now, they may have some demands for you that you open the Bible and let's talk from here because this is the test by which we all are tested. But we can sit down and discuss truth. 
This is what happens in this story. So Stephen is, he, he is uh, accused. He is uh, uh, thrown into the limelight. He is lied against. It says they lied against him. So, so he has to then uh, give this defense. And he, what he does, he lays out truth. And this truth affects everybody involved. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to start in 51, and I'm going to show you the last part of his dialogue with them and what he was saying to them. Stephen stands up, and he says all of this truth, and he says, heaven is my throne. Speaking of Jesus, heaven is my throne, and, earth is, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all things? He looks at him and he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. They announced beforehand the coming of the, they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You see, he takes the truth and he says, you are living a lie. You are living a lie. Now, this is not, not much unlike the truth that Peter preached at the beginning of Acts and it says that they were cut to the heart and they looked at, that, at Peter and they said, what must we do to be saved? But there was a different response here. Stephen said, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. He presented the truth. Now I want you to see what happened. It says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. He gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And upon this even greater truth, this even greater truth that though you murdered him, he is still alive. They hated him. They were enraged. He spoke the truth, but they were enraged and they grit their teeth and they hated him. But him, being full of the Holy Spirit, had this truth affect him so that the heavens were opened up and he saw the glory of God and he beheld the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. It says, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped up their ears and they rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witness laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning him to death, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then falling to his knees, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Wow. What a 
rises up and you're called on some truth? Do you rise up in anger and say, this is not a sin. I want to keep my money. I want to keep my lust. I want to keep my desire. Shut your mouth. I don't want to hear that Jesus nonsense. I got a life to live. I'm not giving up my stuff for some so-called God. And the world gets enraged. All because we said, please don't kill babies. But they say, who are you? I've seen people. Hey. If you want to be affected by truth, you've got to behold the Father. You've got to behold Christ. You've got to sit in His presence. You've got to seek His face. You've got to get in front of the King of kings and the Lord of lords and be so affected by this truth that it changes everything inside of you so that you won't, not the murderer, not the murder of the ones proclaiming truth, but you want the murder of your sinful desires. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. But Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. How many of you make the, ter the most terrible decisions all the time? How many of you are just jacked up and you're thinking? And you struggle with this and you struggle with that and you struggle with this and you struggle with that. Let me ask you one simple question. See, you know the truth. Why don't you submit to it? You know the truth. And it's not just truth of cultural issues like that. When Paul says, we do not wage war as the world wages war, for we do not have weapons of the, our weapons are not of the flesh, but they are of divine power. They are of God to destroy strongholds and every argument raised against him and every lofty opinion. You see, these lies and these deceptions are not just big cultural issues that you need to, to debate with atheists about and, and have philosophical discussions with this person or that person. No, that's good. That's well and fine. But maybe at this stage, you are believing the lie. Maybe at this stage, you can't, you can't even be happy with yourself because you're not believing the truth that God has said about your intrinsic value. You say, don't murder babies, but you, you kill yourself all day long because you're not skinny enough. You kill yourself all day long because you're not cool enough. You kill yourself all day long because of this and because of that. When God says, none of that matters to me, I love you. You see, the truth of God destroys all kinds of strongholds. You say, I need this sin. I need this sin. Oh, you're just not believing the truth. All you need is Christ. All you need is to behold Him. You see, Stephen was affected by the truth by beholding God. As he beheld the glory of God, what was true for him was that Jesus Christ, who is true, was more desirable then than anything else in this world, even his own life. Even
even his own retaliation, even his own image, even his own justice, even his own payback. You say, is it really that important? Yes, it is. You want to be the type of Christian that would lay down your life for Christ? You want to be the type of Christian that, that the world can throw anything at you and you're not shook? You want to be the type of person that is so grounded and founded on the truth of Christ that the trials and tribulations of life, they will come, but they bounce off of you left and right. And though they slay you, they can never take away your joy. Let me tell you the secret for me and for you. Are you ready? Raise your hand if you're ready. You must. It is not a question of maybe, maybe, maybe. You must. Hear me in the back. Hear me in the back and on the front. Hear the Word of God. No one can come to the Father but by me. You must sit in the presence of God. You must behold Him. And as Stephen gazed into the heavens full of the Holy Spirit and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, that truth, that desire was set into his heart in such a way that he could die, that he could lay down his life. But not only that, but that he could speak back to the Father and say, don't hold this against him. talk about selflessness you talk about security you talk about someone that doesn't need anybody to like him we're all torn to pieces because somebody doesn't like us we're all torn to pieces because somebody thinks we didn't do the right thing we're all torn to pieces because of this and maybe you didn't maybe you need to live under that truth maybe you need to test that by the scriptures maybe it's a lie and you're just not believing God Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is, is that he died for you since the beginning of the time. Since the beginning of time, he was predestined before the foundation of the world to go to that cross. He knew where you were going to be. He knew the sins in your life, past, present, and future. He still went to the cross. He knew you would deny him. He still didn't come down off the cross. He knew it would be tough. He still went. He knew all of your warts, pimples, back hair, and all, but he still loved you. And he's the only one that you need to love you. If you've got his love, if God be for us, who can be against us? How are you affected by this truth? As we all stand to our feet. You know, some people ask me, why are you doing all, why do you do a, a, a altar call every single week? Well, one, because he's worthy. If nothing else, just come down here and you pray and you thank your good God. You thank your great God and Savior that he came after you, that the truth is that he pursued you. You come down here and repent. Have you been believing a lie? Have your actions showed? You say, no, I haven't been believing a lie. Have your actions showed that you've been believing a lie? Then the altar is open for you. Would you like to praise him? Would you like to pray for someone else that they would see him and be affected by him? Jesus is worthy, guys. I have no other word for you today. Except Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about Him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Him. 
Glorify Him with whatever He's calling you to do in this time. Glorify Him. Praise God.